The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. How do you build a template for if you are reconnecting the farm to the urban center or you are you know, creating a farm that is able to operate year-round? How do you train people to be able to access that new technology and access this? So from pretty much every aspect of running the business. That's what we're laser focused on, creating templates for success. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 8. We are at episode 103. Great return guest today, and I'll share that with you in a second. But if you are a regular listener, I want to give you a high five. Thank you for coming back and joining this show week in and week out. Without you as the listener, I wouldn't have a show, quite honestly. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, your busy day, to listen in on these stories. And I hope you have as much fun listening as I do recording and having these conversations and educating myself and you with everything that's happening in this space. It's happening at such a fast pace, it's crazy to think how much is happening that I wanna share with you, conversations, new folks, new CEOs, new founders, new technologies, all of that and more. If this is your first time listening, you're in the right place if you're looking for a show where I interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. My name is Harry Duran, and I've been podcasting since 2014. Crazy, we're closing in on 10 years. This show has been going gangbusters since 2020, March of 2020. It's crazy to think about it, and I've been enjoying the ride ever since. We had a two-parter this week, last episode. We spoke to Kiana Mickey, the Director of Urban Agriculture for New York City. We had a fantastic conversation about all things food justice, food security related, her experiences growing up in New York City, and all the great work they're doing with the mayor's office there. So please check that out if you haven't done so already. And it's going to be great to have connected with her at the conference as well. Speaking of the conference, another speaker will be this week's guest, Nona Yehia, returning back for round two on this podcast. 
Nona never disappoints. She's just got an enthusiasm and energy about the industry that I really find infectious. We talk about food justice and access. We talk about vertical farms as urban infrastructure, which is very interesting. They've got a project coming up in Maine, which is very exciting to to see. And I, I can't wait to have you listen to her talk all about it. We talk about the importance of building templates for farm success, the employment models she's using for community growth, and what their impact is gonna be on these communities like Maine, like Detroit, how we democratize access to fresh food, so many other things that really light me up, light my heart up, and I can't think of a better spokesperson for all the positive that's happening in this space. If you find you're getting value from this episode or any of our past episodes, please leave us that rating and review, ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'd love to read yours out next. And remember, I want you to focus on these conversations. Just go to verticalfarmingpodcast.com to read the full show notes for each episode. It's going to include all the guest links as well. Okay, before we jump into this conversation with Nona, round two, here are a few words from these amazing folks that continue to support this show and to whom I'm eternally grateful. This year, Indoor Ag Tech is coming to New York City's Times Square, and it's bringing together the world's leading growers, retailers, tech providers, seed companies, and investors. Join us from June 29th to June 30th to meet, expand networks, and produce fruitful partnerships. The team has been gracious enough to provide listeners of this show with an additional 10% off of the registration. Simply use promo code VFP when you register and lock that in. And by the way, if you're on the fence, remember that early bird discount ends on May 11th. After a pivotal year for CEA, the summit will explore what's needed to ensure the industry can continue innovating and growing into a crucial part of the global agri-food supply chain. Mark your calendars for the CEA Summit East in Danville, Virginia from September 19th to the 20th, 2023. This two-day event, co-hosted by Indoor AgCon and the Virginia Tech IALR Controlled Environment Agriculture Innovation Center, brings businesses and academia together to help you grow your business. Immerse yourself in a full lineup of research showcases, panel discussions, and keynotes featuring top experts, grower operators, and other thought leaders. Explore the latest CEA innovations from tabletop exhibitors. Enjoy quality networking opportunities. Don't miss this unique opportunity to attend a conference at a research facility where you can get a first-hand look at cutting-edge research projects happening right now and explore ideas for collaboration with Virginia Tech and IALR researchers as well. Vertical Farming Podcast listeners can save 10% off the standard passes with code VFP. Visit ceasummit.com for more details and to register. So officially, Nona, Yahia, back for round two on Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you so much for getting us caught up. There's so much good stuff happening and I'm excited to chat and also to see you in uh, New York in less than 10 days, probably in yeah, nine days. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back here with you, Harry. You're one of my favorite shows, my weekend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> routine. And I'm very much looking forward to the yearly trip to New York. Yeah. How often do you get back? Is that it? Just that one trip? Oh, no, I get back a lot. But I think indoor ag tech is always a fun reason to gather yeah. and it takes on its own quality for sure. It feels like it's picking up steam or visibility. Do you get that sense as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that just being in this space as long as I have, I have seen it pick up steam and visibility, especially, I think what's really exciting for all of the big ones, indoor ag con, indoor ag tech, the intersectionality that's starting to occur, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just for producers. It's not just about the tech and, you know, the right seed, but it's about the impact. And I, I think 
that has been particularly exciting to me and to watch it on different socials, who's paying attention, you know, who's going to these conferences and why mm -hmm. that yeah. has been really interesting to see evolve. You know, it's also in terms of talking about the intersection of like our relationship and conversations we've had and seeing you at Indoor Icon. I had pretty much the whole panel now on the show I've had from Indoor Icon. So I have Catherine Scalon and Alaric Overbay. And it was one of the best, just high vibe sessions for me, you know, because of the topic, because it's something, you know, a lot of people don't talk about, like, in, you know, we're all in the beginning, I think the vibe was focused on the tech and the investment coming in and the big projects, but really like boots on the ground impact to individual neighborhoods, individual people, changing perceptions of like what it means to have access to fresh food. And it's always nice to see that like, you're like always connected to these conversations. Like you're also doing a panel at Indoor Ag Tech NYC with Kiana, who I spoke, who, Kiana from New York City is going to be on. The, she's the uh, director of uh, urban agriculture. And we chatted yesterday. So I had a great conversation with her. And so I'm curious, like how you think about this. And we're going to talk about the new projects coming up. But like why specifically this feels like important to you to make sure that this is top of mind for people, this, idea, this food security, food justice, you know, however you want to frame it? Well, I think here it comes from the way that I've built my career and my profession. I'm an architect by trade. And I think that architects by their very nature are problem solvers. And I think mm -hmm. we've talked about that before, right? Yeah. And for us at Vertical Harvest, we see the way that we've addressed these problems is a kind of an ecosystem of opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something that, and I really enjoyed the conversations that you've been having lately and coming off that panel. I was very proud of that, to be able to be part of bringing those voices together. And I think that, you know, the promise of CEA lies in the tech, of course, yeah. but the tech is there for a reason. Why do we use the tech, right? Why is it important? And why is it not only important to investors, but why is it important to you, your family, your neighborhood, your city? And I've always been rooted in that question, right? And how do we really leverage those opportunities to build something that is meaningful and lasting, and I think that's why being a part of those conversations are so important, because that perspective is how this industry will actually win hearts and minds and become a movement, which it absolutely needs to. Whether investors are important, I mean, are, you know, kind of hands off the industry right now, the problem of food's not going away, yeah. right? It will be the defining issue of the 21st century. So we need to be able to support different voices that are really making a difference in this industry, as well as the big voices. You know, I mm -hmm. think that that's really important as well. I'm curious, given our, I was checking the last time we spoke, it was actually in 2021, <laughs> episode 32. So it's, it was a while ago, <laughs> considering I just published episode 100. So a lot has changed since then. Wow. And I definitely encourage the listener to go back and get caught up on the origin story there, because it's very inspiring and obviously Folks need to learn a bit about how you got to this point. But let's start to talk about some of the, the things that are in motion. Like your team sent me some of the videos from Maine, and that's super exciting to see. Get to see you on site in a hard hat. <laughs> Excited at what's to come there. So wherever you want to start in terms of like, I'm curious, obviously, I love origin stories. So I'm curious how the project sort of manifested. 
why that location next and how you think about everything that's involved in putting that together and, and where we're at with that. Yeah, thanks, Harry. I, the main farm is really exciting for us and for the community of Maine, city of Westbrook, which is outside of Portland and the state. I think that, you know, again, going back to, and I know you value origin stories, going back to the origin story of being an architect, I've always been really interested in how we build the fabric of our cities, right? Architecture is fundamentally a part of this fabric that is designed to address 21st century problems, right? And that inherently affects people, right? People are at the heart of our cities. And so, you know, early on, I became fascinated with this idea of could a farm, if we were able to feed enough people, become a part of the civic infrastructure of a city? And what would that mean? Would it be as meaningful to people as a public library, as a community center? Would it be able to create value for people? And what does that value really look like? Could it address more than just environmental issues, right? Issues of social justice, you know, public health, economic resiliency. These are all conversations that architecture fundamentally participates in. So positioning the vertical farm as a piece of architecture at its root, as an ecosystem that has an opportunity for a community to connect, that means that we are creating and engaging in a conversation that municipalities and developers have been engaged in as long as they have been city building, right? Imagining the futures of their own cities and future and the futures of cities around the nation and the globe. And I think that's been a really exciting perspective for us because being a part of that conversation, we've seen that cities really value food sovereignty, mm, right? They yeah. food resilience and solving their own problems at a local level. And so that's really how we started having conversations with multiple different states, Maine being one of them. Obviously, we have a complex matrix of market demand. You know, is it amenable in terms of electricity? I mean, you know, what are the rates? All the different, you know, aspects of what makes a business successful. But I think if I wanted to cut through it all, the most important thing is the political will right, of a community, because then you can create a partnership that is enduring, right? There is a real buy-in to the success of the business, to the success of the farm, and the community rallies around it. And I think that, you know, that we've seen that in Maine, it has been really incredibly exciting. We've seen the different partnerships that we've been able to cultivate across the country because of the impact Maine has already had before even being operational, because people can really see it. They say, yeah, this farm is something we want for our community, for our people. It, it solves some problems. And that's it's been a really rewarding place to be in this time and in this industry that's experiencing such exciting growth. It's a different perspective, and I think it really connects to people. And that's what food is, right? Yeah. It's the ultimate connector. 
I think what's interesting is just in that little video I saw, I think the general contractor foreman was talking about how unique the project was and how he had to think about mm -hmm. like it, relating it to other things that they've done before, built before. And it's a hybrid, completely mix of things. And it, there's, it's unique. He hasn't built anything like this or created anything like this before. And so that's just obviously everything that's happening in the build of this. And you talked about the political will and the climate because even from that perspective, this is something they haven't thought of before, because you know, when you think of the idea of farms, you know, people are thinking about outdoor farming, right? And the impacts and all the land that's needed for that. So where else do you see people sort of having to change the way they think about projects like this? Because you're coming to the city with something that's unique. You come at it from a perspective of someone who's got the background in architecture and you know, a lot of times these projects, you have to have someone retrofit their ideas into what you think it might look like. But now you have the experience of being an architect, of being a vertical farmer, having this passion for connecting with the community. It's such a unique skill set. And I think it's mm -hmm. what imbues the, your projects with such character and, and personality that I think you don't get to see in other ones. And so how much of this is education as you lay the groundwork for where you think where you go and where you think about going, you're probably starting to build a roadmap <laughs> of how to prep a city to understand or have a conversation about this. Well, I think, Harry, that's exactly it. We have, for the last seven years, as we've been operating our farm here in Jackson as an R&D facility, been building roadmaps, right? How do you not only grow the product, which is something that you know all farms do, Obviously, we need roadmaps for that. But how do you sell it? You know, what's your go-to-market strategy? For us, it's not just about retail relationships. It's about relationships with our anchor institutions, the hospitals, school system, higher ed, and really responding to the demand for local food year-round at volume that is affordable, you know, across all customer channels. How do you build a template for if you are reconnecting the farm to the urban center or you are, you know, creating a farm that is able to operate year round, how do you train people to be able to access that new technology and access this? So from pretty much every aspect of running the business, that's what we're laser focused on, creating templates for success. So that's not only about unit economics, which is something, you know, we could spend a whole session talking about, but it's about how do you educate about the product? People don't know how to use microgreens. People in, in Albert talked about this, I thought, yeah. in a really fascinating way. How do you make sure that the product is of the community? How do you make sure that you're responding to the needs of the community? So obviously, in order to be successful, you have to have a certain amount of standardization, right? We like to say 85%, but 15% is going to be very tailored to the community, to the what is truly local, right? You have to be of the community in order for it to succeed. So it's been super interesting. And like you said, it's been an evolution, one that we've iterated constantly on. But, you know, now after seven years of operating a farm, two years of funding and building a new one, you know, I think we're starting to have pattern recognition mm -hmm. and understand what are the templates to drive us towards 
again, an enduring and sustainable business. What lessons have you learned in the seven years of running the first farm and what to do, what not to do? I'm sure there was a lot of that <laughs> as you had that as a testbed all these years. And how did that color any of the decisions you're making with these new farms? I turn it around, Harry. What didn't we learn? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, there was no playbook, right? If you yeah. think about, we opened our doors in 2016. You know, we started conceiving of the project in earnest 2009, 2010. We learned everything. We, as some of your listeners may know vertical harvest is unique in many ways and differentiated in many ways. But one of the ways is we put people at the heart of this effort, yeah. right? So our mission is not only to grow food, but futures. A lot of people recommended that in the beginning, I learn how to, or, you know, we learn how to operate the farm and then bring in our unique employment model, which is here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, we employ half of our workforce has identifies with some sort of physical or intellectual disability, half does not. And so many people said, you know, do the farming first, figure it out, and then bring in the people. Yeah. And there was no way that, that I would do that. We created the playbook together based mm. on our different perspectives, based on an ethos of diversity and inclusion. And so we made mistakes together, we learned the hard way together, and we evolved together. So I think that there's not one space in the three-story vertical greenhouse that we operate that hasn't been transformed in some way, you know, in conjunction with what an employee's experience has been, or a plant's experience has been, or, you know, a manufacturer, you know, from the Netherlands, which we've always been systems integrators, which has enabled to us to ride the wave of technology as this industry has matured. And so that we're not hung up on one thing, but really our ethos is about constant evolution, constant iteration, and it's made us quite nimble. Mm. And I think that is the biggest lesson learned in a nascent industry, you have to be nimble. If you can't pivot to respond to the changing lessons learned of the industry as a, in general, then as we've kind of started to see, you know, you get stuck and mm -hmm. you can't, you have fewer options. And I think that that's been my biggest lesson learned. Don't bank on anything and there will be, there are no silver bullets. <laughs> <laughs> Is it important for you in these new locations, to the extent possible, apply the same employment model in terms of the split that you just mentioned? Oh, yes, that is the intent. I mean, I think what has been really another a being realization is the need that we saw specifically here in Jackson Hole about, you know, our employees having a very, very high unemployment rate. And if they did have jobs, they were you know, entry level jobs and not careers like you and I really, and all of us, you know, that's why we go to work is to build our career. They didn't have access to that kind of personal and professional growth, that that's a national trend. And so we're seeing it in all the communities that we're a part of. But I think that, you know, again, back to this, how do we respond to the needs of the communities that we, that we invest in and invest in us? It's really about 
from the very beginning, understanding what the employment needs are. You know, mm-hmm. in Maine, there's a large refugee population. There, it's very interesting the particular employment needs. And we've created, as we talked about in the last session, the Grow Well employment model that really is based on customized employment and really tailoring the needs of the individual into the job and the job to the individual. That's been very robust for us. And so that is at the forefront. We like to say we put people first. And I think that, you know, we're trying to create create systems that do just that. And it's good for business because- You know, we, our employees are evangelists and it's pretty cool to see. And so that definitely is something that seems to be a model that you'll be using in the other farms going forward. Are there any pushbacks when you go into these locations, when you find a partner city? Is there something that is just so new to them that they still have to wrap their heads around it? Whether it's, you know, location, employment, whether it's the business model, whether it's, you know, outreach to the community, whether it's partnership with other businesses, whether it's maybe other businesses you might be disrupting somehow. I'm just curious if the municipalities that as you start to have these early conversations have to come around (laughs) to see a new way of doing things that they might have not thought of previously. You know, what's been super interesting about that is we haven't seen that. I mean, we saw that here in Wyoming. But I think we now have built our R&D facility to a place where we have proof of concept, right? You come to our farm, you see it working, you see the impact it has had on lives, you see the impact it's had on the community. It's an easy sell. And we don't even need to bring a lot of people here. They see, you know, I mean, these are problems, food and jobs. Nobody can argue with that, right? And I think that what, you know, what has been exciting is that that we are very transparent, right? We're saying, this is what we are. This is what we're not. And we engage people into the process. And I think that, you know, that is really, in a, again, in an industry that's not mature, that transparency is essential, right? And to be community-minded, right? Yeah. To go in and listen first, right? And not tell. I think it's Adam Grant who said the amazing phrase, Speak like you're right, but listen like you're wrong, right? <laughs> and and that's how we approach our each community. And so we try to, you know, show how we're collaborative and really problem solving together. And that has been a really successful strategy. In fact, some communities have said that they were going to put out a request for proposals from a myriad of farms. Mm. And then they go out and do their due diligence and they say, you know what, we're not doing that. We're just going with you because we address more than one issue. And I think, you know, it has a compounding effect and attractiveness, but I'm glad we did the hard work when we did it. And it has been very encouraging to see how people have welcomed us with open arms. What's the roadmap? I know there's Maine, I think Chicago was mentioned as well. So obviously there's a lot that needs to happen between now and then, but what the tentative plan look like now? Well, I think by the time we, this comes, goes live, we will be able to announce that we have a partnership, a really exciting partnership in Detroit, and we're signing that agreement now. We are working with Las Vegas. We're working with several other states those are the ones that I can talk about freely because yeah. we've had press around them. But, you know, I think that 
what our hope is at minimum 10 farms in the next five years. And, you know, that's ambitious. Some in our team would push that to 20. I think that what is really fundamental to understand is this is about a local food movement, right? It's not just about, it's not just about controlled environment agriculture. Again, why is controlled environment agriculture important? Why are we vertical farmers? Why are we horizontal farmers? Well, for us, it's about city, right? That the the city, 80% of population by the year 2050, right? We all use these numbers are going to move to the cities. How are we going to feed everybody? But more important to that, we've lost our connection to the food, to the food that we eat, right? So we focused on quantity instead of quality. And here's an opportunity to do both, to have a high volume of affordable, accessible, available, good food, right? And it's just the start, obviously. But most communities that we go to have a vision for their own food sovereignty, right? So in Maine, for example, by the year 2030, they're participating in the New England Food Vision, which is a mandate to increase the amount of local food by to 30% by the year 2030, right? And so we're a participant in that. And then controlled environment agriculture becomes important because local food at scale is important. And I think it's about really connecting the dots, right? And and understanding, okay, well, we have a solution. You want to check it out? And people more often than not say yes. And then we go through you know, all due diligence that needs to happen to partner in those kind of situations. I'm excited to see what you do in Detroit. It's one of those cities that historically, at one point, it was probably like one of those the most important city in the world. And when you think about all the activity that happened there with the industrial revolution and the birth of the auto industry and just the fall, I mean, you see some of those pictures, I think there was a World's Fair there and some of those, and you can just see that everyone, it was just one, it was probably like on par with Paris at some point <laughs> in terms of its, yeah. you know, the allure of it. And it's, and then when you see it now, I've been there because of my love of electronic music. I've been to an electronic music festival there called Movement. So I've been there awesome. nine years. And so I got to see firsthand, you know, just these hollowed out shells of buildings and just like the devastation that happens when a whole industry is just not thriving anymore. So it's interesting to see what, you know, how something like vertical harvest can play a, a small part in, you know, revitalizing. And there was a lot of efforts underway already there, but, and then that's going to happen, I'm sure, in, in several of your other locations as well, but it's exciting to see, and it's exciting to see how the community takes to it. Cause I think it'll be a very positive outcome there. Well, I couldn't agree more and a lot because I'm from Detroit. I grew up there. I'm very excited to be able to give back to Detroit in this way. I think Detroit has always been, as you indicated, this fascinating intersection of muscle and brain, (laughs) right? And the manufacturing history of it is so robust. And we have an excellent partner there, Bedrock Development, and they have invested a great deal into the, you know, to thinking about how to be smarter about development in Detroit, how to create a Detroit that is more resilient, that is more of the people, by the people. And Vertical Harvest is engaged in that conversation. And so those kind of partnerships are really important to us and really exciting to be able to anchor a new community in that way. 
for Detroiters of Detroiters, right? It's not mm-hmm. just about vertical harvest and, yeah, yeah. you know, sending off our workers, but how do we do this, you know, in a way that will impact Detroit? And I think that's where, you know, we talk a lot about the potential of vertical farming, which is just space efficient, right? That's why we use it because we want to be able to be, you know, that's why it's so exciting to us because we want to be able to optimize where we are to be in the urban center. And then how do we really make it something that is meaningful to people because of the food they eat, the job they have, the connections they're able to make. Mm. So it'll be an exciting adventure. And it's one that I feel very passionate about. So anyone who's been paying close attention is probably asking the question, how you get so much done (laughs) with everything that's on your plate. (laughs) And I'm just curious because, you know, there's a lot. I mean, you talk about 10 farms, possibly maybe even 20. If you listen to your team, Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, you personally, like how you manage everything that's going on as a business owner, as the leader of your team as the grower of find of talent, you know, because you have to have the confidence that you have the right people in all these locations that have your vision. And somehow, you know, you can't be in all these places. And so you want to make sure that what you envisioned when you started this is going to be there from a consistency, consistency standpoint, you know, talent wise, that every farm is going to be operating in a way that, you know, matches your vision. So I'm curious, how you think about those challenges and, you know, how you tackle problems, like, you know, challenges like that. I'm curious. You know, Harry, it's a great question. I often ask myself that, but I think it's really fundamental, right? It's about the quality of the people that you go into battle with, right? We have grown a great deal in the last two years since we last spoke. And I think it's not only about the quality of the people that you bring on to your management team, which then, you know, starts to unfold into the rest of the team, but it's about having really strong vision, fundamentally mission, and then the values to break it, to back it up. And I say that was really hard for us, you know, to stick to those things. But as a leader with my leadership team, we all understood that we needed to stay true to the things that were important to us and that we knew interact to that pattern recognition that would lead to a business that can make it through all of the, you know, dips and of a new industry, right? Seeing what's happened in tech, seeing what's happened in, you know, renewables. How do we take those lessons and build something in this, you know, very important industry? And that was if we had not stuck to our guns, our mission of growing food and futures, and just as simple as that, we are a food and jobs movement. And tech is great. We love tech, of course. You can't do this without tech. But tech comes second to the food and jobs movement. And so it's a laser focus. And it's hard because you get distracted and you see people, you know, raising close to a billion dollars, yeah. right? On tech. And you're like, I hope you succeed because if I, if you don't, right, it's going to make it harder to everybody who is operating their business for different reasons. 
But I think it's really in order for everybody to do as much on our team as do as much as everybody is doing, not just me. It's about having a framework for decision making that is authentic to vertical harvest and vertical Mm -hmm. harvest alone. Now, does it take in the data from the industry and from the communities? Of course, but it's within our view of the world. And that has been really in maturing as an individual my voice has become stronger because of those choices. What's a typical day for you look like? Juggling. (laughs) (laughs) Juggling. You know, I'm a people person, Harry. I love relationships and relationships. I found leveraging relationships, showing up with your authentic self, right? That can cut through a lot of, you know, messiness. And Mm. I think that is my day. I try to start kind of grounding myself so that I can do that. And if I find myself kind of, you know, wobbling, I remind myself I'm here to try to get us all to the point where we want to be as in an optimized and streamlined way and an authentic way. And that. Every day is different. Some days I'm on the road. Some days I am um, here with the team. And some days I'm just at home trying to catch up. But each one of those has that filter of being like, okay, how do I do this best? And that, again, adheres to our values and the way we do things. What helps you come back to center? My family, mm-hmm. my friends, the people I work with, you know, the laughter. I think that, you know, it's been such an incredible journey. And now that, you know, in our last session, we talked about that one of my prime motivators is I have a brother with disabilities. And now for the last seven years, we've shown that access to this very exciting space can be democratized, right? And our farmers who prior to vertical harvest were washing ditches, you know, cleaning hotel rooms. That's all great. We got to start somewhere. But now they have fed our community good food, healthy food, food that inspires fresh food. And now they're leading the charge in Maine and they are our teachers out there. They've been on Mm. panels out there, talked to the contractors. This is a sea change of perception of what people can do when you focus on ability. And that, when I've seen the impact that, it has had on people's lives. I'm a very competitive person. I don't want to fail, but I don't want to fail because I am responsible for what we've unlocked there, right? We've shown that there is a better way and that it can be a profitable way. It's a good business. It's a strong business and we can turn capitalism on its ear, right? We can say we can do well by doing good. And those things can be connected. And in fact, we do do well because we're doing good because people want to be a part of our story, right? With a little farm that could here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I mean, we've had national and global press, right? We've had communities that say, yeah, we understand Maine is 15 times the size of the one in Jackson, but we want that impact. So that, and I also have this power where, it could be the darkest day and I'll look at my husband and I'll, I'm going to sleep. And then the next day I'm like, okay, here we are again Refresh. because of that story. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm able to refresh and yeah. go at it again because we've built a community that is magic. It is fun. It is challenging. It is not for the faint of heart. And we've mm. shown that we are not of the faint of heart. This is not about charity. This is hard. And this is good business. So it's cool. <laughs> It's good to see that you always have a smile on your face every time we connect. So <laughs> I guess it's something to say for, you know, whatever habits or whatever, you know, ways of living or whatever things you've put in place personally to help you deal with all the pressures of, you know, showing up day in and day out, because I'm sure it's not easy. No, this industry, anybody that's in it or has been in it. It's not for the faint of heart. It is. It takes, but you know, there's a reason so many people are as passionate as I am. And, you know, I think my one hope of the community and the, I mean, of the industry is that it become more of a community, yeah. right? Where we can share these experiences. We can have these relationships because that's what's going to take, right, is learning from each other. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard several people talk about that on your podcast. Yeah. And I think we're close. I think we're close to unlocking that because this is a movement. This isn't about vertical harvest or any, you know, every, anybody else. This is about something that time has come because people need it, right? Yeah. How have you evolved as a leader over the past few years? So many ways. I think I've learned how to be comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Say more about that. Yeah. I think that I've started to trust that I have built a team around me that we can problem solve our way out of most things. We hit a lot of headwinds, as a lot of our colleagues and competitors have as well. And we've navigated them. And every time I thought, oh, well, it can't get worse than this, you know, then it gets worse. I mean, the debt ceiling crisis, I'm like, no way it could touch us. It affected food supply chain, right? Yeah. Eviscerated the program at the USDA. Right? So this was something we were counting on as project yeah. funding. So I think that we've stopped creating those obstacles into fire drills and understanding that we have a robust tool set that we can tap into to, like I said before, navigate and find another solution. Well, okay. That's gone. Yeah. Didn't it see that coming? Right. But how do we do that? And I think people see me showing up day to day, you know, not with a smile on face. I think you kind of hit it there. And then they're like, okay, well, she's fighting. I'm going to fight too, right? Yeah. And we're going to keep going. And that's that culture that I'm talking about. We've built, I think you can have the best laid strategies, the best laid plans. And if you don't have the culture to support it, you know, you're dead in the water. And so we've spent the last, you know, almost a decade now building that culture. And I think it is really strong. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the recent high-profile news, AeroFarms, other folks, just within the past you know, couple of months? There's so much high-profile news that if you're looking from the outside, you're wondering, like, what's going on in vertical farming? It doesn't look like it's all it's cracked yeah. up to be. And I'm wondering, 
what, if any, impact it has on your decision making or just your thoughts to how people should be looking at that in the context of you know what we're trying to he- do here all to- collectively as an industry? Well, I think each one is a little bit of a stab to the heart, right? Yeah. Because, you know, their successes are our successes and unfortunately the other way around mm-hmm. rings true as well. You know, it is, I think that venture capital is not available to any of us right now because of what happened, you know, with in the last couple of years. Yeah. So, okay, you know, how do you reposition? And I think that's a question. I think what is unfortunate is that these farms are not apples to apples. And because of the lack of transparency in the industry, there hasn't been much insight into that. So you can't say, so everybody gets lumped in, you know, to one category. For example, we are vertical farmers. Yes, it's true. But most of our colleagues have really leveraged technology, right? Saying they're going to reinvent the wheel. I would even say they're inventing a new wheel. I'm not, you know, is that necessary or not? This is the conversation we could have. For us at the very beginning, I knew what I knew and I knew what I didn't know. And I knew I didn't know how to farm hydroponically. So I said, who's the best partner? And, you know, you look over across the pond in the Netherlands, a country the size of Maryland, yeah. under glass, they've become the second largest exporter of food in the United States, That's right? Wild, I mean, a second to the United States globally. Yeah. yeah. And so they're our partners. They've been our partners. So we're systems integrators, right? So we bring tried and true hydroponic technology and put it together as an architect would into a robust ecosystem that prioritizes yields and production alongside people, really maximizing costs, I mean, optimizing costs. So pushing the cost down, what's that balance between people and automation? But we're not doing what AeroFarms was doing or what Calera was doing, right? And so, but we get lumped in, well, they're vertical, I'm not interested, right? And I think, and so, but then again, on the other side of things, you always want to find the right investors who are going to take the time to say, all right, what does this company really look like? It seems that there's a there there, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think Aero Farms really hit me hard because I felt that they were in the community, engaging the community. Yeah. No, and what does chapter 11 even mean? People read that and they're like, bad. You know, it's about yeah, restructuring. Yeah. Restructuring, yeah. They've been around for a long time. So I think the important thing is, you know, why I love the work that you do so much. Harry and I'm so such a dedicated listener and I'm not just kissing up. It's because we have to have these conversations and we have to have them openly and transparently. Yeah. What has you excited when you think about the your relationship to tech and innovation wise, or what are you seeing? Or do you rely on your technology partner to just keep tabs of what's the latest and greatest? And so that they're doing the implementation, they're doing the testing, they're seeing what's going to make sense to put into production so do from a tech standpoint innovation standpoint is that where the that partnership comes in handy for you yeah it's a robust collaboration where it's dual innovation right what do we need on our side and how can we solve that i mean these i work with engineers i'm an architect we like to you know be able to really understand what the system will output uh, and that is so fun and whenever we are able to push it even further it is such an amazing 
you know, it was something we all feel really good about. I think that some of the things that I'm most excited about is how do you look at food as the new factory, right? A human mm. factory, right? It has yeah. it's humanized. And of course, you know, we're involved in AI and ML and all of that with growing plants, which is amazing. And mm. I'm blown away by it all the time. But what if you look at it during with the dual filter of not only plants, but people? What mm. is the potential for AI to really empower people, to augment teams, to create ways of working smarter and better? And that is something that I have been investing a lot of my own personal time and understanding what is our point of view with AI? It's here. Mm. It's happening. We could be scared of it, but you know, we have to have the belief that we can do something with it and that we must do something with it. And I think that's, what's really exciting, but Harry just, you know, obviously I'm excited about a lot of things, but I think the, the farm itself, the way it operates to prioritize yields to respond to the demand for local food, how we've used conveyance, how we've used automation, how we've used lighting and how we've put that all together. It's the ecosystem again, back to that ecosystem of opportunity. That is the real innovation. Yeah. It's exciting to see. And it's almost like hard to predict where it's going to go. Cause I think, I mean, two years ago, we weren't even talking about AI. So (laughs) who knows what's going to happen on our next conversation. What's a, a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? <laughs> so many. I think that I should have been prepared for this because oh, I okay. know that you asked this. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I'd rather so, you take the time uh, to think about what's most alive for you. Yeah, I just want to make sure that it is. I think there's a lot of exciting things happening. There are a lot of really exciting things happening with vertical harvest. And it's making sure that we have the right people in the right shoes and that we're taking on, that we're being real with ourselves, right? Mm. And the industry is being real with itself, right? How do we stay away from the big, like, okay, you know, by the year 2050, here's where we're going. What are we really doing and staying close to that? Why, right? Why at a very micro level, the local level, are we really of community? Mm. Are we making the right choices for, to create a sustainable business? I mean, and being truthful about, to ourselves, most importantly, transparency is one of our core values, but are we asking ourselves the right questions? And I think that lesson learned philosophy that you always ask. I think it gets exhausting sometimes in businesses. People just want to go. And we're always saying it's a part of our culture to ask ourselves the hard questions and to really listen to ourselves. If we think we are on a path that is not going in the right direction. That's a good point. This may be probably a similar answer, but as you might know, uh, the next, as we wrap up, I always like to leave a couple of minutes now for any 
thoughts that you have for your colleagues in the industry for because you know a lot of the folks like you listen to the show and i always you know want to encourage these conversations this dialogue to happen so is anything top of mind for you in terms of like what message you have june 2023 for your colleagues in this space keep going you know the the problems aren't going away Mm. and I'd say, what about, and the way to keep going, I guess, back to kind of our prior conversation, what inspires us all to keep going? What is inspirational about it, mm-hmm. right? And that's back to what's the why, right? Yeah. Is it age old? But yes, we must talk about unit economics. Yes, we must talk about the tech. Yes, we must talk about how to get the product out into the market. What is truly inspirational about mm-hmm. CEA? What is the promise of CEA? How do you see that? And how are you, you know, responding to that? And I think really spending time, that is the hard question, right? And maybe that's why I pause because that is the hard question. Yeah. How are you going to, as a cog in a machine, individually respond to the promise of CEA? And then how are we going to have the real conversations as a collective, as a community to respond to CEA? Because I think what's most disheartening to me is, you know, I have, there's this leader of an organization called Future Crunch, where they've rethought the news, where they focus on good news instead of bad news. And Angus Harvey, what he says is, it takes a long time to build good things. It takes a second to break them down. Mm -hmm. And that is what I feel that we are vulnerable to at this moment and make sure that we're having the conversations so that we can all keep working on the good things and that we don't allow a blip to take down the vertical farming industry because it is a tool for our futures. It is a tool for our cities and we need to double down on why and how it works. And I am so encouraged by Aero Farms coming back out two days later with the announcement about microgreens. You know, okay, took a blow, but we're here, right? And not hiding away from it. And I hope we can continue to do that because it's we're going to suffer multiple blows. It's new. It, It is. Well, that's an inspiring way to wrap up this conversation. I'm always excited to have this chat with you. I'm always looking forward to getting to meet with you in person. It's one of the highlights of attending these conferences. And so we get to see each other in, is it seven days, eight days? (laughs) Yeah, right back at you, Harry. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Looking forward to it. And so (laughs) encourage attendees. There's still tickets available. So we'll have details in the show about that. And obviously... I think the beauty of that conference is that it's single, as far as I know, still going to be single track. So everyone gets to attend all the sessions, which is really powerful because you really focus attention. I think I saw that you're going to be, you're going to be providing some samples or something at this show. Is that confirmed yet? Or? Yeah, we're going to have okay. a community table where we'll okay. have samples. You'll be able to meet some of our farmers and come and just talk about the industry. What are your questions? What are you concerned about? What are you excited about? So we're really excited about that. Very cool. Okay. So verticalharvestfarms.com. Anywhere else you want to send folks to connect with you and the team? Well, all our socials, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. We're on TikTok. We're big on TikTok. (laughs) 
for all the kids who are yeah and it's interesting to yeah. have that platform for this new generation as well to get them excited which is really cool as well so exactly okay thanks again for, right. for, for your well, time always a pleasure Thanks again to Nona for round two, coming back on the show. Always appreciate her taking time out to bring these inspiring stories to light. I feel that it's a good thing, a great thing for this industry. And I am always excited when we connect. Special thanks to our season eight title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking to a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology will suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com. That's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co. As a reminder, if you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Okay, we're getting close to the end of season eight. Next episode, we have a great conversation with someone who is very familiar in this space. It's Sepper Ashard of iGrow News. As you might imagine, two guys talking about their favorite topic, sharing all the news the highs and lows of this industry. That'll be a great conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.